0: And welcome to episode 227 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky in this podcast. Is there anybody else who likes going out under the stars? How was your week, Shane? Well, we
1: were finally out underneath the stars. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not together. Mm -hmm. but Not together. uh, Yeah. we, We were both in Grasslands National Park. Uh, I had the week, the entire last week off on vacation, so my schedule was quite flexible, and uh, I I decided to go a little early just based on the forecast. I felt like that was going to give me the best, the best odds for two good nights, and turned out I had one okay night. (laughs) Good. Uh, How about you? Uh, How how were your? uh, Were you able to observe both nights, or just uh, just one, or parts of both, or how how did it shape?
0: Yeah, had had one uh, decent night and uh, had about uh, I guess around thirty or so uh, members of of the public slash from from Parks Canada. And I, I joined me and Mike and, and Peter who went out and and did a bit of an event in the Grasslands National Park. And uh, yeah, it was really cool. We had people from from all over. We had people from uh, you know uh, here around uh, Saskatchewan and people from all over Canada, Ontario and. BC and had folks from uh, down the States and Mexico and uh, Germany and uh, all kinds of different places like that. So it uh, wasn't a huge crowd, but, a, you know, uh, a, a lot of different people from a lot of different places uh, hanging out and, uh, and looking through telescopes and uh, looking at Aurora, but uh, yeah, what were you able to see?
1: Well, so I was there for two nights and the first night, the seeing was not very good, but the transparency was excellent. It was very clear um, so Mike and I, we did a ton of observing in terms of the amount of objects, um, that we, that we saw that night. It was so much fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was using my, uh, Takahashi TSA one Oh two, uh, with the binocular viewer mm-hmm. and Mike had his Orion 12 inch reflector. And, yep. um, so we had a kind of a nice contrast of instruments um some of the uh, memorable observations we spent a lot of time up in Coma Berenices as well as uh, Virgo just cuz they're well positioned right now. Mm-hmm. Um had a quick look at the Leo Triplet in the TSA um but uh I was able to see two objects that were or that are in Omira's Hidden Treasures book. Okay. Um, the first one is NGC uh, 4725 which is a galaxy up in Coma Berenices. Um, and it's very close to uh, Malat 111, and I, I think it kind of gets overlooked a little bit just because of you know how beautiful and huge uh, Malat 111 is. Um, but uh, with the 24 millimeter panoptics, um, I was able to see in, in the four inch an elongated galaxy, um, but it had it had two bright spots um, that were visible with averted vision. Um, and it also kind of looked like there was a darker spot or darker region present. Um, so I could see the galaxy with, you know, direct vision, but again, averted vision for any of those details. So I switched from the 24 millimeter pan optics to uh, 13 millimeter, uh, Naglers and the two bright spots became more apparent. Um, what's kind of interesting is, is Mike brought Uh, that galaxy into the 12 inch. And I really didn't feel like the views were all that different. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, anyway, uh, so it it was a really cool observation. Um, You know, seeing any kind of detail in galaxies is always exciting to me. Mm -hmm. Um, So an interesting note about this observation, I, you know, so we saw this, I come home and I always like to validate what I saw, especially if I wasn't sure about everything that I saw. And those two bright spots were, interesting to me. I'm not sure what I was seeing. Um, so, um, what they are is they're like Milky way stars in the foreground, hmm. uh, that just happen to be superimposed upon this galaxy because of the positioning or alignment. But these two stars are about magnitude 13. And another one is about magnitude 13 and a half. Oh, wow. And, uh, that's pretty
0: good with your, uh, four inch. Well, yeah. So,
1: so this is my point that I, that I was going to get to is that that's getting to be on like the limiting magnitude for a four inch telescope, Wow! but I was using a Bino viewer and, <laughs> you know, kind of the knock on the Bino viewers is that y- you lose some of the light. They, you know, it's not, uh, it's not showing you everything and, and, you know, deep sky observing with small instruments, not great. Well, I don't know if I'm seeing, you know, magnitude 13 ish stars, uh, through the Bino viewer, I'm pretty pleased. So, um, yeah, yeah, I was really quite blown away. Oh, wow. Um, what else? Uh, so NGC 4526, uh, this is another hidden treasure and this is a galaxy in Virgo. Um, and you know, Virgo is littered with galaxies. The, the Virgo cluster is incredible, um, so with the 24 millimeter panoptics, optics, I was able to see kind of, a, a it, it appeared to me as a bit of an elliptical, but face on galaxy, um, definitely a bright core and a diffuse surrounding, uh, but no real discernible features. And when I increased magnification, it, it didn't improve the view at all. In fact, it might've detracted a little bit because you lose some of the brightness. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, that was interesting. Uh, we looked at M3 and M53. Um, and I really want to just like M53 blew my mind. Uh, now through the TSA, uh, the, the four inch refractor, these were just round fuzzy balls and that was it. Um, you know, I was not really able to make out individual stars, um, but I didn't jack up the power. So maybe if I would have used more power, that could have helped, but the view through Mike's 12 inch. Oh yeah nothing short of incredible. Yeah. It really was It like M 53 was photographic. Um, you know, I would estimate just quick estimate, you know, didn't actually do any counting, but I'm, I'm thinking there's two to 400, 200 to 400, uh, individual stars that we could see through Mike's 12 inch. Um, I, I even said to Mike, I said, you know, Uh, he was using about 150 times as well for power, but, uh, I said, I think that M53 might be prettier than M13. I just, Mm -hmm. it was an incredible view. Mm. Um, M3 was, was uh, very similar, you know, and not quite as, uh, I I felt M53 was more impressive, Um, Mm. but anyway, both, both were great, uh, through the 12 inch, uh, we looked at M13, um through the four inch, um, you know, it it was very big and very bright, even through the four inch. Uh, I was able to see individual stars when I was using the 13 millimeter Naglers. Um, but you know, I think it would have been a lot better if it was, uh, just an average night in the grasslands, but because seeing was poor and really at this time of the year, M13 is pretty low in the sky. So I'm also looking through a little more atmosphere. Um, You know, it it probably would be a lot better later in the season, but Mm -hmm. an interesting note here. Um, so with the, uh, with the 13 millimeter Nagler, I could see individual stars, but I had to use averted vision. Mm -hmm. Um, so I thought I'll switch over to some orthoscopic eyepieces that I brought, um, just to, you know, see if, uh, again, the simpler glass, if it allows more light through or improves the view. Um, so I used 12 millimeter orthos. Um, you know, one millimeter difference, I don't think will have a big impact. No. Nope. Um, but with the ortho, I was able to see the individual stars with direct vision rather than uh averted vision.
0: Wow. So
1: it's not That's amazing. Like, yeah, it's not like I could probably see more, I don't think. It just was easier um hmm. and, and more comfortable. Now I lose a lot of field of view as well. So, you know, it's a a completely different way to frame the object, Um, but I was really pleased with how the ortho uh, uh, showed M13. Hmm. Uh, What else? Uh, Graphius uh, is a double star, very easy split. Um, uh, M49 looked at, uh, it was really just a fuzzy ball without any discernible features. Uh, spent a lot of time panning through uh, Malot 111. It's mm-hmm. just such an incredible uh, part of the sky. In yeah. fact, I really wished I would have brought my Borg Mini 50 just to take in as much yeah. of it as possible because of how large it is. Yeah. And uh, it, you know, again, under a dark sky, I, I also just like to look up without any optical aid and just see what the sky looks like. And it's amazing how big and bright uh Mulot 111 is under a dark sky. Like it just it's shocking. Um so ton of fun. Um so this was also the first dark sky session that I exclusively used the Bino viewer. I did not do any mono viewing except uh with Mike's telescope. Mm. And um I gotta say I think I'm hooked. It was so comfortable. Um you know no eye fatigue at all at any point. Um I certainly felt like I could have went far deeper into the night. Um, our session was ruined a little early because of clouds, uh, that rolled in. And, um, we thought that the following night would probably be the better night anyway, which turned out to be false, but, um, but yeah. yeah, anyway, the, uh, the, the Bino viewers were phenomenal. I, I'm, I was really pleased with their performance. The only, you know, drawback, um, was that I couldn't do like the extreme wild wide field viewing that sometimes I like to do, mm-hmm. but really You know what I probably should have done because I brought my two inch focuser and I brought some wide field eyepieces was maybe just finish the night with some wide field viewing up in coma or some, you know, just general wide field viewing because uh, Sagittarius was starting to rise a little bit too. And uh, Cygnus was up. There was certainly some opportunity for it. So I should have probably switched to two inch viewing, but uh, I just got distracted with all sorts of, uh, you know, great, great objects to look at. So it was a ton of fun. Uh I was so happy to be out under a dark nice. sky
0: again. So yeah, yeah, I'll it over to you. Yeah, it's it's been a while since you've been down there, I think, observing uh yeah, since before the pandemic, I think.
1: Well, yeah, and and uh actually for East Block, even the year before the pandemic, um, you know, where I work, I won't get into all of the, the gory details, but there was some commitments that required me to stay pretty close to home uh, during periods of the summer. And, um, as such, I didn't even get to East block the year before the pandemic. So it's been, I think three years since I've been in East block two mm. years since I've been in West
0: block, but,
1: um, yeah, it's been yeah. a while and it felt great.
0: Yeah, I know. It's, uh, it, it's awesome to get down there. Yeah. I, I used to just about live down in East block.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's so close to us, right? Yeah. You know, three hours you're there. So
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, so I was uh, mostly doing like uh, public stuff because I committed to the parks for, for doing public events uh, on this weekend, which was uh, great. Uh, I got to meet uh, quite a few people. Some people are asking like about other places to go, but it, it's kind of hard to say uh, we'll go to these other places when, you know, you're at, you're at the darkest place. That's, uh, that's about the closest distance uh, to Regina. Like there was a new person from Regina asking uh, where, you know, where else to go. And it's kind of like, well, you know, there's no place this good, this close to the city. It's only three hours. So, um, you know, it's, it's pretty hard to, you know, uh, recommend anything else. I mean, you can always just drive out into the grid roads on the fields, uh, or whatever, uh, and that's all good, but it's just going to be, uh, you know, sort of a, a graduating sky down to, you know, the sort of the grade A sky down in grasslands. Um, yeah. So we just told me, yeah, you can just drive out of the city 20 or 30 minutes on the grid and you're all good. But, uh, you know, if you really want really good skies uh, like this, well, you know, that that's the place to go, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's what, yeah. They asked what we did and we're like, well, we come here or we just, you know, drive half an hour, 45 minutes out of the city. So I think they're going to come down and join us in, uh, in West Block. They don't have a telescope yet or anything, but, uh, yeah, they're kind of keen to, uh, to maybe start doing some astronomy. So, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. recent, uh, recent transplant from Northern Ontario. Uh, yeah. A few other folks like that, uh, showing up. So yeah, it was, uh, pretty good um yeah it was kind of like experiencing the four seasons though like we had um you know summer like conditions where we were in shorts and Mm t-shirts and putting on the sunscreen we had really like cold weather that would roll in from time to time where we were putting on parkas and hats and getting down close to zero and uh, didn't have any frost but we got pretty close and uh yeah just kind of some temperatures sort of in between yeah it was kind of a a funny weekend weather-wise um had some rain on the way down on um on Friday, and then uh, that created a little bit of fog and some um, some more dewy conditions than than what we would have liked on on Friday evening. Um, but it kind of like it kind of didn't matter though because we had um, a huge uh, magnificent aurora display. It was probably one of the one of the most striking aurora displays um, that we'd ever seen. Um, some people were taking photos. I thought I could kind of see pink in it, mm. and uh, somebody took a photo, and it came up pink. Um, yeah, it was this huge, like pinky, yellowish, whitish um aurora that covered uh half of the sky. It started just in wow. the north as like a weak aurora band, and then uh we started getting some curtains and some large pillars, and then um you know, after about an hour of this, it, it really was flooding pretty much the whole sky with sunlight, and then um we started to see like a spire forming uh due east. And I've only ever seen this once before and it got thicker and longer and thicker and it just grew and grew and grew and we watched it. It extended right up from the East went right overhead and then uh, went right into the Western horizon, which uh, I believe is one of these new uh, Steve uh, rural phenomena that uh, people are so stoked about. But uh, yeah, we definitely saw one of those uh, form up and, uh, and we watched that for a long time as well. It sat there for the better part of an hour and, um, yeah, it was a pretty spectacular Aurora display and yeah, it was neat. We were showing people some stuff. Mike was showing people stuff through the telescope and, uh, And people were lined up there. And then kind of once the Aurora was really kicking up, we were getting pretty dude out. So, uh, yeah, we just kind of everybody just kind of stood there watching because we uh, probably I think maybe half or three quarters of the people had never even seen an Aurora display before. And so to see something like that with uh, with lots of people that never even seen Aurora before was uh, was really fun because they were Mm -hmm. they were pretty excited. There's a lot of oohs and ahs as like spires would form and curtains would roll in. And uh, and then the Steve kind of shot up out of the east. Um, and then through the overhead, yeah, it was pretty spectacular.
1: Wow. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Um, the Tuesday night that Mike and I were observing, there was a a very short Aurora flare, uh, in the North. Um, it probably lasted about 15, maybe 20 minutes, uh, three or four pillars that were quite active and then it just faded. It didn't, it really didn't get all that bright. Mm -hmm. Um, but what you saw sounds incredible.
0: Oh Yeah yeah, it was bright and it was, it was, it was really neat. And I think people really enjoyed it. Sort of the downside was like, it was so bright that uh, uh, we had started to see the Milky way as it got dark. And then that just got completely uh, washed out. (laughs) Like you couldn't see the Milky way. I mean, it was very bright. Like, you know, you couldn't read by it, but it, it was very, very bright. Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah, Like casting shadows. And yeah, it was like, uh, you know, a a very bright uh, display. So I think, you know, we lost, uh, a lot of the stars. So typically there, you can see well into the sixth magnitude naked eye. And we were down into like the, uh, you know, maybe the fourth magnitude and in, in the best part of the sky and some parts of the sky, you can only see third magnitude stars. Uh, if oh, that, wow. because yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, it just, uh, it was extremely bright. So very, very cool to see though.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the catch 22 with the Aurora, you know, the, it's absolutely beautiful, but it, it really does. It has the potential anyway to end your observing because of, uh, how, how bright they are.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, we kind of, packed it in after a while because it it did get rather dewy and uh and it was cool like it it got down uh into the low single digits and uh so all went off and and went to bed and i got up to try to see if i could see some of the planets in the dawn sky but some clouds had rolled in by then so uh yeah there was there was no luck with that and then on uh last night uh gave a gave a talk another talk to the public and then uh yeah it was uh, just too cloudy we had some sucker holes and pointed out the odd star to people but uh yeah things didn't uh, didn't pan out last night it didn't rain or anything but it was just uh just too many clouds kicking around and uh yeah so we uh, we talked to uh, to folks for a while and and then just kind of went up and waited till midnight to see if we could see any breaks and saw none so we uh Packed it up and uh, just sort of went to bed early, which is uh, sort of like midnight or 1230 or whatever, and uh, got some good sleep though. Boy, feel, uh, feel pretty well rested today. And uh, here we are doing a podcast, uh, you know, uh, just about two hours after I walked in the door. So that's not too bad.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, sounds like we kind of had uh, a similar experience of, of one night of yeah. observing and then one night of just getting a, a good night's sleep because, you know, the clouds rolled in and took away our fun.
0: Yeah, yeah, there was neat stuff going on down there though. Like we saw, typically, you know, we have pelicans in Saskatchewan, but there was uh, eighteen or nineteen pelicans down there flying around. So mm-hmm. that was uh, a neat thing to see because typically there's not pelicans in that area.
1: Yeah, yeah, Mike and I saw them too, which uh, was yeah interesting. I've never seen them down there before.
0: Yeah, and it looked like there was some other folks that had showed up and were doing like uh, some astrophotography and stuff like that. People that. Um, we didn't know anything, so uh, it's really neat to see, uh, sort of on a continual basis now. Like pretty much every weekend, there's an astronomer or two that that are coming down and, and using the park. Because uh, of course, uh, uh, our little group of of uh, fine folks were the only people that were using it for astronomy uh, for for quite a few years. So uh, it's great to see that kind of catching on because uh, they they do take keeping the park. Uh, as dark as possible, uh, fairly seriously. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's an expert, for anybody to be able to go and, and do astronomy on any weekend now,
1: except stay away from the washrooms. Those bright <laughs> white lights are atrocious. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, they put up some red filters on them so uh Well they did for yeah, that night. Yeah, yeah, so oh. it, it wasn't too bad, but uh oh. yeah, the problem with the washrooms are uh is they they meet the like International Dark Sky Association and RASC specs for uh dark sky lighting because they uh they have lights that face down and uh they don't have any directional lights. You're just getting reflected light um like coming off the walls and coming out, you know, sort of um uh, between the cracks and everything like it's it's not a direct light. But of course, what happens is when you're in a pristine location, um, it just seems horrendous. Um, But it's not. It's really not very much light. like if it was anywhere else, like if that was, uh, um, you know, the way your neighbor's house was set up, you would be, you know, clicking your heels because if every every house in your neighborhood was set up like that, um, you would have, you know, another magnitude of, of dark skies probably um, you know, in your backyard chain, but, uh, you, you throw that into the darkest place in, uh, you know, uh, along the American border here in Western Canada. And, and it just seems, uh, you know, like, like you're really robbing the sky of, uh, starlight, uh, just unfortunately the way it goes. So yeah.
1: Yeah. I wasn't, I yeah. wasn't thrilled with it. That's for sure. Um, the, 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 washrooms down by the, uh, I guess visitor center were not as bad, but the ones up on the Hill were were quite bright, but
0: it is what it is i guess oh yeah yeah i mean that's that's just the way it is because i think like the standard is just like they're they're making it sort of for the average and you know if you were in a a dark sky preserve that that wasn't really that dark this would be you wouldn't even notice that you would think this is totally fine like i know like the provincial park that uh, we would do astronomy in um you know, Nova Scotia, if, if their washrooms were set up, because I think their washrooms have like external lights on them and everything, if they were set up like this sort of in amongst some trees and sort of off to the side, you know, be no problem, but, um, they're not really set up for the darkest spot where it's just totally open because there's no trees or anything. Like typically I think the washrooms are sort of set off to the side and, and, uh, sort of hidden behind some trees and maybe other buildings and that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, where, where we go, they're sort of front and center, and, uh, and there's no trees. So, you know, white light comes on and you could be five kilometers away and you're going to see it. So mm-hmm. that's just kind of the way it is. Unfortunately. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah. So good trip. Nice to meet lots of folks and and hang out for the weekend and, uh, you know, do some, uh, do some astronomy and, and meet some new people and just sort of kick back and relax in, in the grasslands. Anything else to, uh, to add to the grasslands adventures here, Shane?
1: Just one thing. So the, you know, when we do these trips, the, the other aspect of them is the daytime. And often we just sit around and talk and, and kind of joke around. And, um, Mike brought, uh, two new books that I've not seen before, um, that I thought were both were really outstanding. Um, the first one is the, uh, the Messier guide that Wilman Bell, uh, Prince, um, the first, it's the first time that I've okay. seen that one and it's a really, really good Messier That's the red guide. book. It's yeah. Yeah. It's red. It's a and, red book. Yeah. And I think it's yeah. designed for Messier marathons, um, any for, for any month of the year. And, um, it just like, it provides, um, uh, finder charts. If you're using, I think like a seven by 50 optical finder, you know, like what the field of view will look like, It you know, it tells you kind of like, you know, start with this bright star hop to here, like it guides you to, to all of these observations, uh, great descriptions of the objects, uh, you know, again, like star charts for your telescope as well. So it's a really well done book. Um, but the one that really uh, blew me away, I'm not sure if you've seen this one before Chris, but it's, uh, it's by Harold Hill and it's a, a portfolio of lunar drawings and, um, what oh. what blew my mind with this is it's not like he sketches the moon and there's hundreds of sketches in this book, but what what I really really liked about it was he would have one object on a page or or you know one object dedicated to a couple of pages, and he would have like nine uh, different sketches of this of this one object, uh, but at different points in time like with different uh, amounts of uh, illumination from the sun which then changes you know how extensive the shadows were so like you would look at this page and you'd say oh there's you know nine different uh, uh you know uh, features in the moon that this person observed but it's no it's just one feature at different times but it they take on such different appearances based on you know different lighting and everything so if if there's uh, any lunar observers that are listening this is a must have, I think, in your library because I think it's one of the finest lunar books out there um, because it covers like this wide variance in how these uh, features appear.
0: It's not so, any full moon drawings in there.
1: I didn't. I'm just kidding. Yeah, I didn't look
0: for those. You'll, <laughs> you'll have to publish yours.
1: <laughs> but anyway, yeah, this yeah, book stuff. is definitely any- on my list.
0: Yeah, anything else? Uh,
1: nope, that's about it.
0: All right, we had some uh, some emails this week, uh, had an interesting observation from Chris in Long Island. Shall I read it? Yeah, go for it. All right, Chris writes, uh, hello, uh, Chris Chain. Uh, I got out last night uh, with a friend to a darker site. Uh, one of the state parks that is along the south shore of Long Island, with our permit, we're allowed to use the beach parking lot for observing. That's pretty cool. I like that idea.
1: Yeah, yeah, that is cool.
0: He says, uh, I had my 6-inch refractor with me and decided to take a shot. And I think that's one of the Altair, uh, the red uh, 6-inch F5.9s. Anyway, he decided to take a shot at at, uh, trying to do an observation of Omega Centauri. He said sky conditions report." Took about 20 minutes for him to find uh, the the red stars to hop from. Um, He said, uh, with a lot of patience and long bouts of standing on my tippy toes, I was able to confirm that I found Alnair, which is Zeta Centauri. Um, not only were sky conditions where the cluster uh, culmination is a mere two degrees above the horizon for us here, the region wow. of sky is also a little sparse uh, uh, with stars and other, other finding objects. And, and I know that I, I've observed, uh, I, I've observed uh, that region of, of the sky and, uh, and taken a look at Omega Centauri uh, when I was in Hawaii. Um, he goes on to say, uh, at around transit time, I slowly panned back and forth with my telescope centered on Nair's altitude. I'm certain that the ever so faint patch of light uh, that he observed was uh, the globular cluster, but there was no resolving happening for me. I cut the power at 28 magnification. No sense in trying anything else. I guess I'll log it as observed. I also wanted to thank you guys for recommending the Walter Scott Houston book, Deep Sky Wonders. Uh, I bought an excellent copy on Clyde classifieds and I absolutely love it. So beautifully written and organized. I love how he tells the reader uh, what scope and conditions he had for his observations, as well as how he reports on um, what other used and experienced as far as instruments and uh, and their own observations through those instruments. Uh, it would have been nice uh, if the editors uh, had included the object's magnitudes in the table uh, at the end of each chapter. But other than that, it's a treasure through skies, uh, Chris in Long Island. So nice observation there. I like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. Observing that close to the horizon is, is never easy. Um, so, you know, I think anytime you can pull something like that off, you're, you're kind of in bonus territory, you know, like that's, uh, that's mm-hmm. pretty
0: cool. Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, and he was saying like the conditions were poor and, uh, there was a few other things. Like, I think he had his telescope set up really high and, um, yeah, cause he had to stand on his tippy toes to try to look through it, to, to see that area of the sky. But, you know, like, it, that's like an experience like that's a really great experience because um like say in a week's time or, or whenever um because we're still in in that uh, new moon period here for at least a few more days anyway um maybe he's able to get out again or maybe next year he, he gets out and uh, gets a better night he kind of is oriented it and knows um, roughly where it is and how he saw it last year and kind of like on that subsequent night uh, might might get to make a, a, like a more detailed observation kind of thing than, than just a detection. And, you know, uh, it, it'd be pretty fun to, to hear back from him in, in a future uh, uh, correspondence to see see how he makes out if he goes after it again.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Well, just got Houston's book, Deep Sky Wonders. What are your thoughts on that text?
1: Uh, I don't own it. That's my thought.
0: Oh, <laughs> I own it. I love it. It's, it's about my favorite book. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I wish that. Uh, so Stephen O'Meara edited together Walter Scott Houston's articles, um, which spanned uh, several decades, I think from like the mid 50s or early 60s until the early 90s when uh, Houston died. Um, and they were published in Sky and Telescope uh, pretty much every month. And uh, Stephen James O'Meara took uh, many of those and edited them down into into a book sort of month by month by month. And uh, month. And I, I agree with uh, Chris's assessment that it would have been nice if they give a more detailed um, lists at the back of each chapter. And then, uh, then as well, I, I, wish that they had used, um, like some more in different objects. Um, like for example, in the summer, they sort of turned to the Northern sky, uh, I guess just to be a little bit different. Um, but, uh, you know, it would, it would have been nice to have more, uh, you know, sort of, uh, uh south reaching objects and objects closer to the, uh, to the Southern horizon that we can see in the summer, but yeah, small, small quibbles. Um, and like Chris, I like how, uh, he, uh, he, you know, details, his observations as well as the observations of, uh, of the readers. Yeah. There you
1: go. Yeah. Right on. Should I read the next one? Go for it. Okay. Uh, This is from Peter. Uh, Hi, Chris and Shane. I made a few modifications to the FC 100 DZ. I added a two speed 12 to one focus adapter. Uh, The focuser seems to be the same, uh, same one that's sold under the more blue brand by Astro Hue tech, but they are out of stock. Uh, I got this uh, on eBay from a guy in Chengdu for $190. Uh, He claimed that he supplies more blue. It's a very solid piece of kit, sticks out a bit from the side, but I think that's uh, a feature rather than a bug. It works fine. Uh, The installation was very easy, but it took me a little while because I was approaching things cautiously. Uh, And you'll also see that I got a Bader click lock, as you suggested, which is a really fine piece of kit that you and I enjoy. Um, What else here? Uh, Peter also says uh, that he got uh, some tube rings from More Blue and a handle from Astro Tech. Uh, The handle came with a matching Vixen dovetail. Uh, The whole thing is maybe a pound lighter now uh, versus using the clamshell. Uh, I can get two hands on the handle if needed, so it's much more manageable and it feels very secure. I will probably put some slightly thicker felt on the rings uh, the case from Stellarview uh, that he sent photos of uh, looks soft on the sides, but it's well padded um, and it's quite stiff. And uh, what else here? I'm finding visual observing of DSOs to be uh, quite frustrating here due to, due to the light pollution from Phoenix. I'm doing much better with what I think I'll call photographic observing. Uh, recently I've been fascinated by the Virgo cluster. I finally got, uh, my 0.8 focal reducer for the AT60ED. Uh, the 60 millimeter with reducer allows me to get a lot of the cluster into the frame. Uh, there are about, uh, three hours worth of exposure time, uh, the, in a picture that he sent, uh, which is centered on NGC 4438. Um, and then he finishes it off by saying, uh, well, I guess not quite finished, but it's fun to count the galaxies. Uh, and then it looks like he's going to Sedona for, uh, some darker sky observing. Yeah. So he's going to take, uh, the sky team to mount the TAC and the AT60. Oh, nice. maybe the C5 and C90. So yeah, that's quite a, uh, quite an army of instruments and looking forward to hearing about those observations too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love seeing the, uh, photos of, of Peter's. uh, uh, hundred DZ, which is a Takahashi four inch, uh, telescope and, uh, refractor and, uh, yeah, just seeing how, how he has it set up. I really like those more blue products. I have, uh, a few of them, um, mostly plates and stuff like that, but, uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, they're nice and lightweight and, um, you know, it really makes, uh, really makes to help your, your gear become a little bit more portable. Yeah. Pretty nice.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do have a couple dovetails from more blue and, Um, they take out really any unnecessary metal to, to lighten it up and seem to maintain their, like the rigidness that you need from it. So it's a good product.
0: Yeah. They don't get all scored up. I've got them on my, let's see, I've got them on my attacks. Yeah. My, my FS 60 and my hundred millimeter have them. So yeah, all good to go there. Cool. Anything uh, else to add for uh, Peter? Nope. Excellent. Yeah. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for sending those. And thanks for sending those, those uh, pictures. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, shall I read James's email next? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. James writes a greeting. Greetings, Chris. Uh, I was listening to your latest podcast, and you asked for suggestions for future episodes. Um, I've listened to uh, all of uh, yours and Shane's uh, podcasts, and many of them uh, multiple times. And for me, the most enjoyable ones are the deep dives. Well, thank you for that, (laughs) because we often debate it whether we would do more of those or not. Um, While listening to those tours of the constellations, I uh, pull up Stellarium and follow along. Oh, wow. uh, hopping from star to star while listening and saving to my favorites um, in Stellarium those objects I'll try to observe in my next nighttime outing. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that is really cool. Um, I hadn't I, thought I of
1: that. I, know, <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say the same thing. Yeah.
0: yeah so uh, thanks for that, uh, James. And uh, we're putting it out there so people can um, hear how how you've used those and uh, maybe. Uh, that, that, that gives me some ideas for how we can do more episodes like that. He goes on to say, um, those episodes also wear well in that uh, when the constellations described are visible, even years after the, uh, the episode was, uh, was presented, the information remains relevant. So more deep dives into the constellations, please. You know what? I'm going to throw it back to, uh, to James and say, um, let's see, uh, give me uh, a constellation that you want to see, James. Um, or if anybody else has has a constellation they want us to uh, to go through, um, we will we will do that. But I would like uh, to hear from James. Um if you can, I, I would love to uh, do one just for you. I think that would be great. What do you think, Shane?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think uh I, I enjoy the deep dives. Um there's so many objects in each constellation, and you know, I think we try to do a bit of a, a wide sweep in terms of you know, here, you know, galaxies, clusters and maybe some. Mm-hmm some off ball things that don't always appear in, you know, all of the lists. So, um, yeah, it's
0: a lot of fun. I enjoy recording them. Yeah. He said, I've also recently uh, re-enjoyed your uh, episodes discussing, uh, Shanesborg 50 FL and uh, that encouraged me to obtain my own poor man's, uh, 50, uh, he got a 50 millimeter Astro, uh, tech finder, uh, from Astronomics, um, and they're presently selling it for $45 American, uh, that makes a surprisingly capable uh, wide-field instrument. Yeah, it would. That's uh, pretty cool. Um, it's a little fellow uh, between the uh, 102 and uh, 80 millimeter Celestron, and uh, he sent us a, a photo of that uh, uh, pretty good. Uh, he goes on to say, how good is it? You might ask, well, have a gander at the high-voltage tower in the center of the photograph below. So he sent us a couple of photographs. Really appreciate that as well. And he said uh, the uh, tower has an identif- identification plate on it. And he was able to uh, to read that quite easily, uh, though he's yet to test it out under uh, the dark night sky. Uh, he's optimistic. You'll be an excellent wide field performer. And I think it uh, I think it will be. Uh, anyway, thanks for all the hard work you've been sharing in the podcast. Um, I am many hundreds of other amateur astronomers greatly appreciate it. Best regards, James. Uh, sorry, Jim. And uh, yes, Jim, uh, thanks so much. Sorry, I was saying Jim. Uh, I was just sort of reading the uh, the uh, email address there. Uh, but yeah, I appreciate that, Jim. And uh, yeah, if you uh, have a suggestion for a podcast or if anybody else does, um, you know, we appreciate hearing from it and uh, would love to hear from Jim back on uh, what he, uh, what he would like us to, uh, to focus on um, for another deep dive. And we will make one up in June uh, as a a la carte uh, presentation. Sounds good. Mm Why don't you take um,
1: the next one? Yeah,
0: because yeah, yeah, Philippi wrote me, so I thought I would. Uh, I thought I would drop this in. So I've seen these emails come through, but we've we've been away, Shana. I think you've replied to to some folks, and uh, I was just like, holy cow! I I've got to get uh, some replies out of these people, and then I thought, you know what? let's just put them in the episode and then uh, we can sort of talk about them a little bit. And then uh, we're giving the, uh, the emails that I think the voice that, uh, that they deserve. Cause I think these are some interesting observations and uh, feedback for us. So really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, Fleepy writes, uh, uh, hello, Chris. Uh, he finally moved, so he's uh, moving to a city. Unfortunately, I had to say goodbye to the nice views of the Milky Way uh, that he was observing, and he's uh, a Southern Hemisphere observer, and uh, so I really enjoy uh, hearing and seeing about his astronomy uh, adventures, he said. Uh, the second day he he was here, I set up his telescope, and it wasn't as bad as he thought, you know. And I am right with Felipe on this because I had to move once for a number of years to uh, an area that was uh, supposedly very badly light polluted, but I found out again, just like just like you, Felipe, it wasn't quite as bad as uh, as I had thought, and lived there for three or four years, and uh, and yeah, and made lots of friends because one of the one of the things that that you might find is that. When you move to a higher density area, although you might be leaving behind um, lots of stars, you might run into um, lots of uh, lots of fellow amateur astronomers because you're in a more populated area, and so uh, so sometimes that can be uh, that can be a benefit that uh, that that I didn't think of as much. I, I didn't really think about that as much, and then um, ran into people who are telescope builders and makers and uh, other observers and uh, binocular observers and all kinds of different types of observers. Um, so yeah, the skies weren't uh, pristine and quite as good as as uh, as I would ideally like, but uh, yeah, met lots of really interesting observers. So he goes on to say, um, let's see, he can no longer see uh, certain clusters uh, with the naked eye, but he managed to find Omega Centauri, which is hilarious because uh, we had uh, Chris's email about finding Omega Centauri, and uh, the struggles that he had there, and uh, here's uh, Felipe uh, observing in the southern hemisphere and and uh, working on this, the same object. He is also able to observe the jewel box and a few uh, few of the double stars, uh, and mainly, uh, you know, was showing uh, some of the stuff to his family members, which which is really cool. So I think he was like obviously living further away from his family. Now he's living closer to his family, but it's more light polluted, um, and able to actually share some of some of his observations uh, with family. So that's pretty cool. Um, he was able to try for the, uh, lunar eclipse. Um, but unfortunately the, uh, he says the weather was terrible down where he's uh, living. And, uh, he said there was a cold snap during those days and uh, nothing terrible for you Canadians, but when the temperature goes to 10 degrees above, uh, we are not used to it. Yeah, I can, I can imagine that. Yeah. So 10 degrees Celsius, that seems, uh, uh fairly cool for, uh, For a a country that's a lot closer to the equator than we are, Shane.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, even, uh, you know, it certainly is relative and and plus 10 in January is great. But Mm. um, plus uh, when Mike and I were observing our first night, I think it was about plus nine and it was pretty darn cold. I had three jackets on. (laughs) Yeah.
0: He goes on to say, uh, yesterday I woke up uh, to take a look at the planets and he woke his mother up and uh, and she was able to see them as well. And she got very emotional when she was looking at Saturn. and I think many people do for the first time. We were talking about this uh, last mm-hmm. night folks and yeah certainly when people see Saturn for the first time, uh, yeah, they usually have a pretty big reaction eh?
1: Yeah, well I don't know I, well, it's just absolutely beautiful and it's it's probably one of the best you know I think Saturn and the moon are maybe mm-hmm. two of the best objects for a telescope where like they're photographic, no matter how you, uh, no matter how you observe them. Um, and you just can see so much detail. It's incredible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's really neat. Cause he says that, uh, then h- later on his mother asked uh, him to help her out with a course she's giving at the, at the library. And, uh, and, and he talked to see if it was okay if he could take his telescope there to do some public outreach. Uh, they loved the idea, so uh, they have a nice uh, amphitheater, he said, and uh, maybe once he gets a, a little bit of experience, he can do a few classes, um, and then he would uh, perhaps come to me <laughs> for some advice. And, uh, yeah, I'm not any sort of expert on this uh, by any means, but I've certainly taught a lot of uh, observing classes. And that's one thing, you know, as amateur astronomers that, that we can do um, and, and I think people do really appreciate it because oftentimes when we think about astronomy classes, you think of like astrophysics and mathematics and all this kind of stuff. And, and that's great if you want to go do an astrophysics degree. Um, but as far as learning how to uh, look at the nighttime sky um, there are a lot of sort of tips and tricks and that's one of the things we try to do in this podcast, Shane, and, and try to do in, in the astronomy classes, uh, uh, that, that I teach. And and when we do public outreach and, and education, we, we try to pass along those, those sort of tips and tricks, uh, to really get, get people started, um, to do this. And, uh, yeah, I'm happy to, uh, to share those with folks and, uh, and yeah, if we can, uh, yeah, if we can arrange it, you know, happy to zoom with people and, and, uh, have some conversations and kind of, I can, I can quickly like walk somebody through my, uh, you know, sort of my class presentations and, uh, let them know, uh, how I do it. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, just something I've kind of cobbled together over the years of, uh, of doing this with, uh, uh, with adult learners and, uh, and other learners as well. I've had, uh, people as young as eight and, and people as old as, uh, as 98 taking these classes. So, um, yeah, it's a lot of fun doing doing outreach. Eh?
1: Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed uh, talking to people and you know learning about their experiences, and that's uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, I really enjoy it.
0: Yeah, he also said he uh, enjoyed our episodes on all the different kinds of telescopes and binoculars, and he's really happy that we're getting lots of listener emails. And uh, don't know if we thought about it, but he thought it might be cool if we could share more of the reports and pictures. Um, another thing that could be interesting is some kind of community uh, for your listeners. I uh, hope you're well, clear skies, Filippi. Yeah. Thanks so much for really appreciate it. Um, yeah. I'd, I'd like to do something. I'm not sure I need to get some, need to manufacture some time and see, see what we can uh, see. What we can put together. Um, there are great places for amateurs to go. So um, at least, at least, and we haven't really discussed this scene but I really think like cloudy nights is an awesome spot where people can go and Um, certainly uh, discuss um, amateur astronomy topics, um, regardless of of where they are. And uh, I kind of feel like in in the ideal world, um, if we did have our own place, it would be very similar to cloudy nights. And I kind of feel like, well, why, uh, you know, you know, recreate the wheel, so to speak.
1: Mm -hmm. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: Cloudy nights is a great
1: resource and um, I don't think you and I could do anything that would run. So, um, you know, I think, I think we utilize what's there. Um, It would be nice to be able to share some of the photos and things that we reference. Um, So maybe at some point we'll get to that,
0: but yeah, um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. I need, need to look into how we would, how we would host that exactly like our, yeah, we never thought of that when we were setting it up and we've had a few requests. We appreciate that. And we love the stuff that people send us. Um, uh, It's just, it's unexpected. A lot of the stuff. And I think, I think you'd agree with this as well, Shane, that, a lot of the stuff that's happened is kind of unexpected. We didn't think people would write as much. And in talking with other people who who are doing uh podcast and, uh, and other online content generation, I, I think uh, some of the time people have mentioned that uh, they're surprised how many emails that, that we'll actually receive from the listeners. And so uh, we do love them and enjoy them quite a bit and try to respond to everybody. Although I think the odd time uh, they do get through the the net, so to speak. Um, but um yeah, it, it, because of that, it, it is a bit unexpected. And I don't think we ever set up any kind of structure to um, to incorporate the uh, sketches, images, astrophotos. Um, the gear photos are spectacular. I love the gear photos people send. I never thought people would send us as many photos of gear as they do. That's a, just a total um, happy surprise, at least on my end. I don't know what your thoughts are, Shane.
1: Yeah, I enjoy it all for sure. Um, you know, through the gear photos, like sometimes I even like the, or I get ideas or I'll learn of, uh, you know, some other gear that's out there that I may want to consider for my collection too. So it's, yeah, it's fun.
0: Yeah. And it's also, uh, surprising because, sometimes um, like we'll be going down some different paths that are new to us because, you know, we're always exploring and trying new things and we'll actually get sometimes uh, all of a sudden, like a more experienced observer will chime in and say, Hey, look, have you thought of this or here's a problem you might run into because I know you guys observe with refractors or this is how you observe. And um, this has sort of been my experience and uh, I really appreciate it. I'm like, well, thank you, you know, because that this is something I don't know that much about and, uh, now we have uh, the benefit of having uh, other people's uh, advice chiming in. And certainly we appreciate that uh, quite a bit as well. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. I think we have uh, one more uh, short email to read, Shane. Uh, we have another Charles who wrote, do you want to take this one away? Yeah.
1: So, um, so he said, I'm new to astronomy and taking your advice about beginning with binoculars. Uh, most review of the, uh, sorry, most reviews of the Canon 12 by 36 image stabilized binoculars are positive. Your review is positive. Uh, However, there has been grumblings about the gumminess of the rubber coating sometimes rendering the binocular useless. Uh, I was wondering if you have any comments. Also, what do you use for lens coverings uh, since the binos don't come supplied with covers? Thanks, Chuck. Um, So I replied to Chuck uh, this morning and and what I said was uh, a couple things regarding uh, the gumminess there's at least three generations of this binocular, and I think there might even be a fourth. Um, I have the second gen, and I have no gumminess. Um, I think if if I remember correctly, that might have been like a earlier generation thing, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, but it, anyway, it, it just might be related to the particular release of the binocular. Um, I've never had issues with mine, and I've had mine probably for over a decade now, um, and you know, the other thing is they're pretty tough. And I know Chuck didn't ask about this, but uh, I've, I've dropped them or they've fallen off tables more than I care to admit. And uh, the stabilization keeps working and they keep collimation. So they're, they're very robust. Um, Now regarding the lens coverings um, for the eyepiece side, I just, I have a real standard, like binocular eyepiece, like it's a kind of a long rectangular ish uh, shape that just, you know, it's a plastic thing that goes over both eye cups and protects everything and it's very simple. You can get them at pretty much any optics store. Um and then on the main objectives I used to use just like uh their rifle scope flip-up covers um that fit on quite nicely. Um although one of those broke off and I just never replaced them and uh I don't feel like I miss them all that much. Like I'm not getting any dust really on the objectives. Uh I use a, a Pelican 1200 case to store them in. Or, or more so to transport them. Um, but really that's it. They're, they're great binoculars and, and solving the, uh, like the missing cover issue is, is pretty simple and inexpensive as well. Hmm.
0: Yeah. And that's heard. about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I like those, uh, like those binoculars quite a bit. And I, I think one of the things that I, I read about anyway, Shane, is that some people were speculating if people were um, maybe putting stuff on their hands and then handling binoculars. Like if they were putting mm. a lot of bug repellent on maybe, mm-hmm. or, or other, um, chemicals and stuff that maybe had, uh, had caused some deterioration I yeah, think yeah,
1: anything that, like that. Well, I haven't, but that's a really good point. And, you know, Chris, we've done, you know, 227 episodes now, and, and we've talked a lot about, you know, how we prepare to observe, but I don't know if we've ever talked about that. You know, that if Mm. you do bug spray or like, um, you know, sunblock or any of those types of uh, chemicals, you really don't want that stuff anywhere near your optics Yeah, Um, because if you're spraying on mosquito spray, um, you know, and it gets onto some, like, say onto a lens, uh, I, I, you know, I'm speculating, but I don't know how well your coatings would come out of that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so, and, and then, yeah, like, you know, I think some of that high percentage DEET can, you know eat rubber and do all sorts of nasty things. So uh, I, I typically don't use any of that stuff if I'm yep. observing just because I don't want it anywhere near my eyepieces or telescopes.
0: Yeah. And then as well, you know uh, just like people might be keeping the hot cars or different things, things can mm. change over time, but I, I haven't seen that in any examples and uh, anybody that I've known uh, that's had a pair of the image stabilized binoculars Uh, I haven't seen them deteriorate like that. I probably know at least half a dozen or more people that, that own them over a long period of time. And yeah, I just haven't seen that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mine have been great. So I I can't, uh, I, I have nothing negative to say about those binos. They've been outstanding for me.
0: Yeah. Well, do you have anything else to say for this episode?
1: I do not.
0: Excellent. So thanks, Shane. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We're on Patreon. If anybody wants to shoot us a donation, we always appreciate it. Um, and we're always excited to get your observing emails to actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thanks so much, everybody.
1: Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.